Yo, what's going on? Push the Tempo Podcast over here. You feel me? It's your boy, Ari. I'm with my guy, Kyle. And today, we're going to be talking about the second round of the playoffs. So honestly, this second round of the playoffs has been pretty interesting. Most of these series went for, or about half of these series went to a game seven, with the exception of two of them. So pretty much 50%. Quick math, you feel me? But yeah, it's been a pretty interesting series so far and playoff run. So you want to go talk about uh, some of these playoff runs, Kyle? Yeah, so this is really the the first series we're going to talk about is really the only one that wasn't interesting, nor was it competitive. Uh, the Phoenix Suns and Denver Nuggets, Phoenix was the two seed, Denver was the three seed. Uh, you could just tell it wouldn't be competitive just because of how, I shouldn't say it wouldn't be competitive, but you could tell that Phoenix was going to win. They were heavy favorites considering just the litany of injuries that the Nuggets have had. Um, them having to rely on Monte Morris and Austin Rivers to continue to play really, really well, like they did versus the, um, the Blazers just wasn't sustainable for a long stretch, you know? And when they played a good defense, it kind of showed because those guys weren't themselves. Or I shouldn't say weren't themselves, but weren't the players they were in the first round. Um, a lot of credit to the Phoenix Suns. They're a really good team. And they handled their business. There's really not a lot you can say about this series besides the fact that um, that just the Nuggets were matched. And if they had had been healthy, I probably still would have picked the Suns to win this series, but it would not have had been as – like it wouldn't have been a clean sweep in my opinion. Yeah, honestly, I didn't think that this was going to be a sweep right off the bat either, to be honest, uh, especially with the healthy teams. But um, – to be honest, like you said before, this wasn't really that interesting of a series. I guess the most interesting thing was that guy, Suns and Four guy, um, you know, punching the other fan. I thought that was pretty cool and funny. But um, other than that, like you said before, it wasn't that interesting at all. But one thing that was pretty cool was how dominant the Suns really were. And, you know, in our other podcast, me and you were the only ones that had the Suns even making the playoffs. And this is far exceeding my expectations. I did not see them beating the Lakers, well, before the season started, that is, and then beating another team right after that. So being a second seed and getting this far in the season in the playoffs is pretty pretty impactful and great for this franchise. So big ups to the Suns, and we'll, we'll have to see the next round. But like you said before, that first round wasn't that impressive in the Nuggets. Uh, I mean, I, w- I shouldn't say it's not impressive, but like, uh, this series, just the way the Nuggets played, uh, Michael Porter Jr., he was really heavily relied on. He was like, there was a lot of pressure on him to be that second guy, and he had some good games. But his biggest problem was that Chris Paul would target him and Nikola Jokic in the pick and roll repeatedly, and he would hunt them. And when Jokic would drop, particularly in game four, like Chris Paul just took over and hit, I think he scored like 14 points straight or something on like Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic like defensive breakdowns because they just couldn't keep up. Uh, this was a great series for him and it was a great series for Devin Booker. Uh, I mean, you can say that the Suns like blah, blah, blah. They have, they've gotten kind of lucky. You, you can say that in the playoffs. Uh, I don't really think that way because you play who's in front of you. You don't control injuries, but uh, props to them, man. They came in, they handled their business before the series started. I thought the Nuggets would maybe get one game, but a lot of credit to the Phoenix Suns. If anything, in my opinion, uh, this series makes the Portland Trailblazers look even worse. Like, how did you how did you lose to this Nuggets team? You know, when you were 
pretty much healthy, I should say. How did how did that happen? That that to me is the biggest takeaway. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, the Nuggets. I don't want to say they look completely lost, but they definitely look outmatched in this series. And you know, them beating the Nuggets or the Nuggets being the Blazers does make the Blazers look bad. So I definitely agree with you there. Um, but yeah, with that said, you know, do you want to hop into the next series? Honestly, there's really not too much to talk about in this in this series. Sure. So the next series then that we're going to talk about is the other Western Conference series. It's the LA Clippers defeating the Utah Jazz in six games. Uh, the Clippers lost two. They lost the first two games by very narrow margins. Uh, they lost game one by three, and then they lost game two by is it like six or seven. And then after that, they just came out and thoroughly dominated the Jazz the rest of the way. Uh, game Games four and five – Game five, game five was close. Game four, the Jazz started to kind of make a comeback, but the Clippers snuffed it out. Uh, I think we recorded the day after Kawhi Leonard got hurt, which is really the biggest, uh, the biggest, um, like most notable thing that happened in this series. So I'll, I'll let you go first, and then I have a little bit more to say as a fan of the Clippers. Yeah, for sure. Um, honestly, man, that was definitely an impressive closeout by the Clippers. You know, being down 2-0 and then coming back and winning, is great. I mean, they did in the first round, but this is the Utah Jazz. And I know I've been ragging on them from the beginning of the season, saying they wouldn't make playoffs and how they proved me wrong. But honestly, this team looked pretty complete, if you ask me. I mean, I do, I do, I don't think that Rudy Gobert is that great, but I, they were completely exposing them, like we talked about in the last podcast episode. But honestly, man, being down Kawhi Leonard and being down 0 2. And winning a game in Utah is super impressive. And honestly, man, the narrative of the whole Paul George playoff P thing, man, I, I hope everyone knows and understands how wrong they were. I mean, yeah, one bad playoff run doesn't define your entire career. Paul George was going off. And the rest of the Clippers really did their job. I mean, Reggie Jackson became a number two. And before the season started, who could say, yo, Reggie Jackson is a legitimate number two option in terms of scoring? Rudy, he was taking Rudy Gobert like he was literally taking him contact with him in the paint and hitting these tough shots over him he was taking out to the perimeter shooting over him and honestly it was just impressive all around not just these two guys Terrence Mann the man of the hour you know what I mean or the, the game the man of the game whatever you want to call it all this corny stuff that you see on Twitter or whatever he was a beast Patrick Beverly did his job honestly man like that was a great series, and even though it only went to six games, I definitely thought that this that series was fun to watch, and it just shows that the Clippers are different. And I mean, I know you can talk on this, but you know, like the coaching is a little bit different than last year. And I, I know you're probably going to say something about that, so I'll let you go ahead. So I I kind of have two two points that I want to make. First, I, I'm going to dialogue a little bit, if that's okay. Uh, the first, I want to just give my quick analysis as to why I think the Clippers were able to win this series, like what they did well and what the Jazz didn't do well. And then second, I'm just going to kind of talk about what it means to me as like a fan watching that, particularly game six. So one of the main reasons the Clippers were able to win this series, and particularly in game six, was obviously because they had, they were able to make Rudy Gobert come out and defend in space. Uh, He had to be put on Terrence Mann because out of all the Clippers' uh, five-out offense, Terrence is probably the weakest shooter. And for a while, and I believe early in the series, it kind of worked because Terrence was a little hesitant to shoot. But 
in game seven, man, once he got into it, and I'll talk about it later, he really, he buried the Jazz. But uh, and that's not the only thing that really kind of handicapped the Jazz. What, in my opinion, handicapped them even more is the fact that even though the Clippers went small against the Jazz, Rudy was not able to punish them. Uh, on the offensive end, his offense is really limited to lobs, dunks, and uh, offensive rebounds. Like, there were stretches in games five. I, I believe it was either game five or four where he had a really nice stretch where he got, like, three or four offensive rebounds and scored, like, six to eight points in a row. But you're not going to dump the ball to him in the post and say, you know, go go score for us, you know? Uh He's just not that type of player. He's really good in the regular season off uh, defensively, and he was the best defender in the league in the regular season. Uh, it just didn't translate to the playoffs because the playoffs are a different game. You know, you don't you don't play one team and then forget about them until you play them the next time, like you do in the regular season. You have to beat a team four out of seven times, and you're going to get game planned for it in those series. And that's kind of what happened here. Um, the Jazz were really, really missing Mike Conley. As great as Donovan Mitchell was in the series, and he was hitting really difficult shots, and he was playing really, really well, um, they missed Mike Conley's playmaking heavily. And when he came back in game six, you could tell that he just wasn't 100%. Similar to James Harden, that hamstring was really, really bothering him. And you could tell that he just wasn't himself. Could it have been different if Mike Conley had played? Sure, but it could have also been different had the Clippers had Kawhi Leonard. Um, and and obviously... Uh, at the end, what you were talking about, that the Reggie Jackson was going at Gobert and stuff, that is true. But at the same time, I don't I don't blame him for that. I blame every other player on the Jazz perimeter that just couldn't keep their feet in front of the Clippers' offensive players. Like, everyone on the Jazz was getting blown by. Royce O'Neal, uh, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Bogdanovich, they were all getting blown by by the Clippers' players. And Rudy Gobert had to, you know, he had to cover up for so much. There was just too many holes for him to patch everything together uh that's just my take on that and now i kind of i kind of want to talk about game six specifically uh because i mean this is as a as a clippers fan um you know this is the first conference finals ever they've ever been to and it really it really means a lot and i want to talk about terrence man specifically uh like you said man of the hour man of the game whatever uh him being him scoring 39 points burying the jazz from three when their game plan was let Terrence Mann and make Terrence Mann beat us. And if he does, uh, we'll live with it. And him doing what he did is so impressive. Just considering the player he was not just last year, but at the start of the season when there were question marks about his role and him stepping into it and playing this well, it's really a testament to how hard he's worked and the Clippers development staff. Like, and another thing that's very that means a lot about him and the Clippers winning this series is that he is a player that that wasn't traded for by the Clippers. He wasn't signed in free agency. They drafted him with in a sec in the second round. And if you look at the Clippers' history of drafting, it hasn't really been good. And the glad the guys they have drafted sometimes some of them turned out well, like Reggie Bullock, for example. Reggie Bullock is a solid player now. He didn't play nearly enough when he was on the Clippers. He didn't play enough, and he should have played more. Um, so him doing what he did means a lot. Obviously, Reggie Jackson had a great game. Paul George did his thing. Kind of started off a little shaky, but finished really strong. Um, Nick Batum, I know he didn't – he doesn't get a lot of uh, – he's not really – wasn't really a huge thought of after the game, but 
his work defensively, not just in this game, but in the entire playoffs, his deflections, his blocks, his everything. He's been phenomenal defensively. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to end with this and I, I'm, I'm going to stop ranting. Sorry. But uh, what's it called? Just like, it means, it means a lot, man, to the Clippers and like our fans who have seen countless playoff collapses and early in that third quarter, it was looking like we were going back to Utah for a game seven, you know? Um, I said that I said that it would be very difficult for them to win in Utah in game seven, but the Clippers erased a 25-point lead in less than a quarter. And a lot of that was on the back of Terrence Mann. He scored 20 points in the third quarter alone. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the most points scored by a, a Clipper in a quarter in playoff history. So just, just big props, man. And it doesn't matter to me. In my opinion, it doesn't matter how this next round fares out because Kawhi's hurt. But so far in my, like this season to me has been a success, you know, making the Western Conference Finals down your best player the last two games of the series and still win both. It, it means a lot. And it's, in my opinion, really impressive and hats off to everyone of the Clippers from Coach Ty Lue to Paul George, who deserves a lot of praise for what he did to Tam- Terrence Mann to Reggie Jackson, just everyone from number one to 15. They all deserve a lot of credit. Sorry for went on a little too long there. Nah, man, you won't make me cry, bro. That was that was deep, bro. That was deep. Nah, nah, not just playing, but yeah, no, definitely, man, hundred percent, man. This Clippers team is a lot more relentless than I thought. Um, man, I I kind of want to say it reminds me of like an underdog team. Like I felt like they were the underdog in the series, and you know they showed up, proved that they were a good team, and here they are in the Western Conference Finals. So. One one take I just want to say is I really like the adjustments that they made. I mean, it's something that some coaches don't really do. Um, I'm pretty sure we're gonna get in that into that later on in the uh, this podcast episode. But um, I mean, putting aside Terrence Mann for or putting aside Marcus Morris for Terrence Mann, that was a great decision. That's something that you know that's a hard decision to make, don't you think? And even though he's like the hot hand. I definitely think that's that's a tough decision. No, 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 you're definitely right, man. Like, I I was kind of surprised after, like, because I watched the game, obviously, but in the moment, I wasn't thinking of it. Like, Marcus didn't play that much. It was really Terrence. It was Pat. It was Reggie. Like, those were the the Clippers' other guys besides uh, Paul George and Nick Batum that played a lot. And that, to me, it's it just goes to show, like, how good of a coach Ty Lue is, man. Like, he's not he's not afraid to bench players when he think when another guy has it rolling. And another thing that really is really impressive to me is like how the guys take it, you know, how like this year and compared to last year, like you were talking about the underdog mentality last year, we, we can agree that the Clippers, they kind of, they seem like an arrogant team, you know, like they thought they were just going to walk to the Western conference finals, walk to the finals. Like that's what, that's what a lot of the talk was around the Clippers last year. But this year, they're more of the team that doesn't give up. Like, I believe it was game game two where they they lost the game. They lost to they lost by six, but they they erased a twenty one point lead and just ran out of gas at the end. Like Reggie Jackson scored like fifteen points in that quarter by himself. Like this team, even though they have the star power and now with Kawhi being out, it's a little it's a dampener on the season. But they just haven't given up. So that's why I don't doubt them anymore. Uh, the Clippers curse is broken. Like this is not the same team from last year. They're very different. And it just, it just goes to show just how much of a culture change, like 
Ty Lue has brought to the team. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, he's making use of guys that were like on the verge of not being in the NBA. Do you remember when Nick Batum did not even play in like the last three seasons? Like, I completely forgot about him. And obviously, I don't know if it was like three seasons or not, but I just remember that he was basically sitting on a really bad contract, and he wasn't playing. And now this is a guy that's defending. I mean, he's made so many great reads in the paint. Uh, just from watching that series, I saw him take in a lot of passes uh, in the paint and intercept them turn into fast break points and he's also hit a lot of clutch threes so quick shout out to him for turning that around on top of that Patrick Beverly this is a guy that didn't even play in the Maverick series uh in games four five six and seven I believe um and then he came through you know what I mean he was defending uh the best player on the opposite team and Donovan Mitchell at a high level you know the game before we we talked about it last podcast he had four blocks which was the most out of both teams and that's, that's some underdog mentality, man. And I'm really liking it. I, and I hope the Clippers can keep it going. It's, it kind of sucks to me because I like both the Suns and the Clippers, but, you know, it's the NBA and we're going to have to see what happens. But, yeah, do you want to hop into the next um, the next series? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so the next series then we're going to talk about is the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I believe we recorded an episode after the Bucks lost was a game – game five right where they just collapsed at the end and Kevin Durant had one of the best playoff games ever after that man I thought Milwaukee was dead in the water um I I maybe saw them I saw them winning game five a uh, game six I'm sorry game six because they were at home and the home team had won every game until game seven but they pulled it out at home Giannis didn't shoot a lot of jumpers did he even shoot any jumpers I don't remember but Chris Middleton and Giannis came to play in that game. Yeah, Giannis didn't shoot a single three in that game. Him and him and Chris Middleton came to play. Chris Middleton at 38 and 10. Like, he played an amazing game. Giannis, like I said, dominating in the paint, doing his thing. And uh, the Nets just weren't able to keep up. They were held to 89 points, which for the Nets, I know Kyrie's out, but it's kind of surprising that they didn't score that much. Um, yeah, and then they were able to pull it out in game seven. Game seven, one of the better games, you know, Kevin Durant, like he, and it's crazy to think that if he had just worn his regular shoe size, because I saw, I read somewhere that he wears like a size or two larger than his actual shoe size. Uh, like if he had just worn like regular size shoes, that shot that, shot that he took uh, where his foot was on the line or his shoe was on the line, like they probably would be in the Eastern Conference Finals right now. But big credit to Milwaukee. I'll let you go. Uh, sorry for rambling. Uh, what were your thoughts on this series? Yeah, no, that that uh, post that you're talking about, I've seen that too. He wears a size 18, so he gets a better fit. Yeah, I've seen that. I was like, yeah, that's kind of tough, man. Honestly, man, I wanted the Nets to win, and I totally thought they were going to pull it off. I, I still think that Giannis is somewhat of a fraud. Um, I like that he turned around and didn't really shoot that many jump shots. His shot selection was a lot better, which, you know, could have been a possibility on why they won. And honestly, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why. And on top of that, I felt like the Nets were doing a little bit too much iso ball. And I think there's a reason for that. I mean, none of the other guys were really making shots. I know the game before, um, Jeff Green hit like seven, six or seven threes or something crazy like that. This game, um, he didn't hit a single three, game seven that is. Shaman didn't even play. And then we all know Harris has been like literally garbage. Um, And he's supposed to be like the three-point champion or the best three-point shooter in the regular season. And honestly, man, it just felt like it was a lot of iso ball. James Harden wasn't right. 
So, I mean, I kind of see why the Nets kind of fell off. They were probably exhausted. Whatever the reason is, it just felt like the offensive flow on that team, on the Nets, wasn't really there in game seven. I mean, KD shot 36 shots. Like, that's a that's a lot of shots, you know. But, I mean, like, he is probably the best player in the world. So, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But I, I still think that the Bucks are frauds, but they probably still will make it to the finals, um, considering who their matchup is. Um, which is the Hawks. But, yeah, honestly, man, this this series was pretty entertaining, not going to lie. It went from one side all the way to the other side. The first two games, you know, they had, like, I believe the Nets had, like, a 49-point lead at one point. And I thought, yo, this is going to be a blowout of a series. Even they might win one or two at home, but, damn, did they come through. But, yeah, I, I still think that the Bucks are frauds, in my opinion. Um, I'll, I'll let you talk on that. Man, um. I, what we saw from uh, – who would have thought that Brooke Lopez shooting that shot or not even looking at the rim and getting the shot clock violation at the end of at the end of regulation and then turning it around, having a huge block in overtime and, you know, really helping his team out, like, with that play. Like, who would have thought, man? Uh, Chris Middleton, uh, he kind of struggled shooting, but it's game sevens, you know, it happens. Drew Holiday was terrible through, like, almost like three and, a, three and three quarters and three quarters of the fourth. But then he hit some big shots late. Uh, man, I just like nobody on the bench for um, for the Brooklyn Nets gave them anything. Like nobody scored from their bench. You know, uh, like you mentioned earlier, Joe Harris had a really really bad series. He just was not shooting at all. He was not playing well. Um, and the Bucks, they got I believe it was eleven points from Pat Connaughton. No, nine points, and that that decided the series. The Bucks won by five. So credit to Milwaukee. I thought they were dead in the water after game game five, like I said. But credit to them for not just winning at home because they did that before, but winning on the road in Brooklyn in a very tough game versus, you know, Kevin Durant. I get James Harden wasn't right, but against Kevin Durant, who's either the, the best player in the playoffs or second best, uh, yeah, big, big, big props to them, man. And uh, if James Harden had been fully healthy, who knows? Maybe, you know, he still just didn't look right because the hamstring, but it is what it is. So a uh, big props to the Bucks. Happy they made the Western Conference or Eastern Conference finals. And I'm happy Brooklyn lost. <laughs> yeah, one thing I just want to quickly mention is I like how Giannis turned it around, though. Like he was shooting through the first seven or eight games, like 13% from three with like, I don't know, three or four shot attempts or maybe even more than that from three. And then to turn it around, and I know he did didn't really shoot in one game, and then after that, in the final or game seven, he shot um, two of six, which still isn't amazing, but it's not terrible. Um, after doing that, and even though they were bank shots, you know, hit the bank, I guess the bank is open or whatever. I kind of like that he he switched up his shot selection, and you can see it was a lot more effective. You know, I, I just thought that this game was kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like it was a really outlierish game. Like um, Middleton went off, and that's something that we can see from time to time. Drew Holiday, like he was started off, I believe it was like two sixteen or two seventeen. That's something that we don't see often with Drew Holiday. I just felt like this was a really weird game, don't you think? I mean, that's that's kind of what happens. Like game sevens, anything can happen, you know. Uh, like that, that's what it is, man. Like it's really the players on the margins that decides game sevens because the star players more than likely usually show up in game sevens. Uh, it's the players in the margins that that really decided. Like, for example, man, uh, in 
like game seven of the uh, Eastern Conference semifinals, Toronto and Philly, everybody knows when Kevin Kawhi hit that shot. Obviously, Kawhi played really great, but a guy that I'm pretty sure nobody outside of Raptors fans remembered played really well in that game is Serge Ibaka. He hit some really big threes. And that's that's kind of how game sevens are usually decided. It's by the players, the outlier players that nobody really thinks of that step up in that moment. And they they usually are the ones that swing the tide. It's not something people want to talk about. They always want to talk about the best players and stuff. But a lot of the times it comes down to those other guys. Yeah, that's definitely fair. You know, and that's a good take too, because if you look at the stat sheet, Nobody scored on the bench. There was zero bench points for the Nets, literally zero points. And, I mean, yeah, they allocated a lot of minutes to the starters. I mean, Durant paid 53 minutes, Harden too. I don't even think they sat. Bruce Brown paid 52 minutes. But none of those other guys stepped up. So, that's, honestly, that's a really good take. But, yeah, do you want to hop into the next series or you got someone else to say? No, I, I do want to hop into the next series, very much so. My man – so, <laughs> so the Atlanta Hawks pulled it out versus the Philadelphia 76ers. I believe the last time we discussed, uh, you asked, who do you think will win this series? Um, I went with the Hawks. You went with the Sixers. You said the Sixers are just too talented to lose to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, it turns out I was right. And do you want to know why I picked the Atlanta Hawks to win this series? Yeah, I'm about to spoil it right now, Doc Rivers. Look, man, Doc Rivers led – Doc Rivers' coach teams are quitters. Uh, the the Lob City Clippers, like I'll admit it, man, they were not, they didn't have the toughness and the never give up attitude that other teams have, you know. Um, and that's that's what happened, man. The 76ers, they crumpled under the pressure, just like every team that Doc has coached since 2010 has done. So that's why I picked the 76ers. But I'll let you go first. Why do you think that the Hawks were able to pull out the series? I mean, to be honest, there wasn't like, I mean, this is like the kind of the common thing, but there really weren't any adjustments. And I, honestly, I think it's really that straightforward. And I think right now the media and even Doc Rivers right now, and pretty much the entire organization is going to kind of blame uh, Ben Simmons for, you know, whatever it is, passing up layups or whatever it is. But I still think that he wasn't that bad enough to like kind of alter that series that much. I, I just think most of it should be on Doc Rivers and the players as well. I mean, it, it is what it is. They lost to the Sixers, uh, sorry, to the Hawks, but, you know, it wasn't a great performance. And it could be that mentality that you're talking about that, you know, kind of give up and quit kind of mentality. But I mean, when you're going to let Kevin Hoarder in game seven punish Seth Curry without doing anything and let him do that for like the entirety of the game, it's just like, bro, what are you doing? Yo, you got to do something. You know what I mean? It's not only that, man. I think at one point in the series, Doc Rivers ran out a lineup of Ben Simmons, Matisse Thibel, and Dwight Howard. It's like, look, man, Doc Rivers has, he knows, he has forgotten more basketball than I will ever know. Like, he has that much basketball knowledge. And even I know that if you put a lineup with three guys who are non-shooters out there in a playoff game, like, you, you can, nowadays, you can't even manage to have one guy be a non-shooter in the playoffs. Like, we just saw that with Ben Simmons. Again, but you run out three of those guys that can't shoot. Like, it's just a recipe for disaster, man. And the Hawks – and I don't want to make it sound like we're just saying that the only reason the Hawks won is because Philly collapsed. No, man, the Hawks deserve a lot of credit. They pulled out – I believe it was game four that Philly Philly choked, right? 
game four and five, right? They choked an 18 point lead in game four and then a 16 point lead in game five. But the Hawks is uh, a 26 point lead in game five, sorry. But the Hawks deserve a lot of credit, man. It's not easy to come back and win playoff games on the road like that. It's like in one of the games that they played. Um, them doing that is really, really impressive and deserve a lot of credit. Trey Young, like I said in the last time we recorded, is that he's really proven a lot of us wrong. And the thing with him that makes him so deadly is that when he's not scoring and he's struggling to hit shots like he did in game seven, like he, he kind of got it going towards the end, hit some really big shots, but he was getting his teammates involved the entire game. And it's not just his assists because he had 10 of those, but it's everything else that he does. It's the energy, it's the attention that he attracts that leads to secondary assists for him. It's just, he's a very impactful player with him being, you know, even though he's undersized and he at times can struggle to score, but for himself, but what he does for others on his team is what really made the difference to me. No, definitely. You could see that in game seven, like literally like he, I forget what it was. It was something like as bad as Drew Hardy shot. It was like maybe like one for 17 or something crazy like that. But five for, again, five for 23. Or do you want to like, talk about like how he started? It was like, two, yeah, how he started two for like 15 or something. Yeah. Something crazy like that. Some Drew Holiday numbers and, you know, he was able to still impact the game and change it up. And honestly, that's pretty impressive. But one thing that you mentioned was a Sixers collapse. And honestly, there was a little bit of a collapse. I mean, you could tell that there's a little, I don't want to say toxicity, but there wasn't something right going on. I mean, you know, Tobias Harris with that huge contract. And I guess if you're last name Harris, then you suck at ball. That's just what I felt like after watching Joe Harris and Tobias Harris kind of sell out. And then, you know, We've got Embiid having eight turnovers, and then, you know, he was just charging and barreling into players, and it, it just didn't look systematic, you know what I mean? It didn't look like they were a first seed at all, you know what I mean? And then on top of that, you got, um, you know, Seth Curry being your second best scorer, and I don't know, it, it just felt really kind of iffy, and the team didn't feel like the team that we watched during the regular season. And like you said before, regular season is different than the playoffs because you can make adjustments. But um, credits to Nate, Nate McMillan and the Hawks for really putting up one up on the Sixers like that. Uh, you know, it was, it was definitely impressive. I don't go lie. I thought it was a pretty good series. And, you know, Trey Young doing it again, you know. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'll, that's pretty much all I have to say. One other thing, though, you'll yo, just saying, you know, if Danny Green played, it would have been different for me. But, like, yeah. No, it wouldn't. Uh, so I just have, I have one thing to say about the 76ers. A lot of people are piling on Ben Simmons, uh, rightfully so. I think he averaged like nine points in this series. And we know he's not a scorer, and that's not his that's not his strong suit. He's a great defender. He's a slightly overrated, in my opinion, as a playmaker. Like, passing is not the only part of playmaking. It's your off-ball gravity, what you can do for others in the half court. Like, he's great in transition, but he's not like a great – He's not like a genius in the half court like Draymond Green is, for example. Um, but I think a lot of blame is being shouldered on him unnecessarily. Like, we know what his weaknesses, what his weaknesses are. He would be better in a situation where he didn't have to. And I'm not trying to say this to, like, completely void him of any blame because he deserves some blame. But he would play better in a situation where he didn't play next to Joel Embiid. And the pressure wasn't so much on him, you know? Like, He's not a point guard. At the end of the day, he's a power forward who needs to play next to a spacing center. Like, I have a friend who's a 76ers fan, and I rec- – I have a, uh, what's it called? I I shot, like, a fake trade at him that what if 
the 76ers traded D'Angelo Russell, traded Ben Simmons for D'Angelo Russell, and maybe like another piece, you know, beneficial to both teams. Like Cat would be great with Ben Simmons. Uh, ben Simmons could kind of cover up for some of Cat's deficiencies as like a, a defender in space. While because Cat is such a good three point shooter, like him being out on the perimeter as much is not really that much of a loss. Like jo- Joel can shoot it, but Cat's probably the greatest three-point shooting big of all time. And that's not even an exaggeration. He's that good of a shooter. Um, but I think there's a lot of blame to go around. Like Joel Embiid, like I get that he scored a lot. And I think he scored like 12 points or something in the fourth quarter of game seven. But like people, like you, you've seen the play where Ben Simmons turns out, turns away from Gallinari and passes the ball. You know what I'm talking about? You know that play? Yeah, it's a, it's a Matisse Thibel and he gets fouled. Yeah. Yeah, so that play, obviously, bad decision from Simmons. But you could tell he's just so far in his own head that he he's second-guessing himself. And he's, second, he's just lost confidence. But don't don't forget that Joel Embiid turned the ball over, like, two plays later, you know? And that mm-hmm. kind of sealed it for the, for the 76ers. It kind of sealed his chance to win it. And he turned the ball over a lot in the last couple games, particularly in the second half. I believe he was averaging, like, four or five turnovers. Might have even been more in the second halves of games five and six. So a lot of blame to be, to go around. Tobias Harris was allergic to the rim in this game. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, did you see how many layups he was missing in this game? not make a layup. That's what I'm it was saying. insane. If, if you're a last name Harris, you can't make a layup, bro. That's what it felt like. Bro, that, that was crazy to me, bro. And he gets paid $180 million. Like, he was – look, one of the main reasons that he has such a good regular season this year is because that he would go out and when Ben and Joel would sit – he would be the main, the primary option against second units. That's one of the reasons he was so, so good in the regular season was because that he would be able to just like kill against like opposing team second units. So I just want to, I just want to put that out there again. I don't want to make it sound like this. This is just the, the Sixers collapsing, even though it is, they did collapse again, a Doc Rivers led team, but the Hawks deserve a lot of credit. And man, we were talking about it, that there's going to be some changes in Philadelphia, whether it's, uh, likely probably Ben Simmons, uh, but who knows, man? Like, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that can go on. The NBA is very predictable. My my apologies for going on and on. No, no, one hundred percent. I'm with you. There's definitely going to be a shakeup, in my opinion. I think they're going to kind of scapegoat Ben Simmons, and you mentioned that he could get traded to the Wolves. I think that'd be a pretty dynamic duo. You know, talking about Cat. Did you see that video where Simmons is talking to Cat over uh, whether it's PlayStation, whatever it is? Yeah, like he's, yeah. He's playing COD. He's like, oh, who do you play? And he's like, the Hawks. And he's like, you're good. Man, that's pretty ironic. But, um, yeah, the Hawks ended up beating Sixers in seven. But, yo, all right, before we end this podcast, do you want to do predictions for the next round? Sure. But I just have one last thing to say about the 76ers. My bad. Yeah. Um, no, so, obviously, Ben Simmons is a great defensive player. And the question is asked by this by like six or some Sixers fans, because a lot of them at this point have turned against Ben Simmons and want him traded. Um. But some still ask that if we trade Ben, what the hell is going to happen to our defense, you know, particularly perimeter. Like, obviously, Joel Embiid is a great rim protector, but what is going to happen to our perimeter defense? Like, Seth Curry can't guard. Tobias Harris is not, like, an elite stopper. But, dude, Matisse Thibel is right there. Matisse Thibel was all-defensive second team this year, I believe, and he's in his second year. If he can just, like, manage, like, a consistent three-point – corner three-point shot, dude, he's – an elite role player the rest of his career. And that's not even factoring in him improving past that. Like he has the potential to be an all-time level wing defender, like 
I know he made he made a mistake at the end of the game, uh, fouling Trey Young on the three pointer. But man, he's still very young, inexperienced. Like that's gonna happen, man. But he has the potential to be an elite, elite wing defender, and that's one of the reasons that me personally, I'm fine with them moving on from Simmons because that Matisse Thybul can really slot into that role well, man. That's that's the last thing I'm gonna say. That's just no, one hundred percent. Um, you know, he was a Celtics pick that ended up getting traded to the Sixers. And honestly, I was really high on him just watching his game. I remember the first game I ever watched him play. It was opening day against the Celtics. And the first play, he got absolutely cooked by Kemba. Like, this isn't cardiac Kemba. This is like like cardiac arrest Kemba where he's like garbage. You know what I mean? Chronic knee Kemba. Chronic knee. There it is. Where he's like garbage. He got absolutely cooked. And then maybe two or three plays later, he comes back and has a huge block on Kemba and then dunks him on the other side. And this is something that I've seen him do throughout the series and his career. He, he is a, he's a great defender, man. And, you know, under the guidance of Danny Green, I could see him definitely becoming an elite role player, as you mentioned. But, um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, he, he's going to be great for the rest of his career. And, you know, I, I think the Sixers should be fine in terms of defensive capabilities as long as he's around, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, all right, you want to get into the predictions? Yeah, sure. So, who do you have winning Atlanta versus Milwaukee? I think this is, in my opinion, pretty self-explanatory. I mean, the Hawks have been surprising, at least surprising me um, in the playoffs, that is. But I still think that the Bucks are going to come up on top. You know, the Hawks are really missing their best perimeter defender in DeAndre Hunter. Um, is Cam Reddish playing too, right? He's not playing either, right? No, him and DeAndre Hunter are out, which... Man, like DeAndre Hunter, like if he hadn't gotten hurt in the regular season, man, I don't know if he, he would have won MIP, but dude, he was really, really good. And he was really good in the playoffs too. Like he's a very underrated player. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah, yeah, no, he was great. Um, I think that they're going to end up missing him. You know, no one's going to really be able to check on Middleton or Giannis, in my opinion. I mean, Clint Capella has been great, but, you know, I, I just think that the Hawks are going to get into some trouble over here. What do you think? Man, I don't, I, I don't want to doubt the Hawks, but I, I really like Milwaukee. Milwaukee, as great as Trey Young is, Milwaukee has the better player, the best player in the series, I should say. And Drew Holiday is a great defender. Uh, he's going to really have his work cut out for him guarding Trey Young. But I believe in the last regular season matchup they played, Trey really struggled when guarded by Drew Holiday. So I'm going to say Bucks. Uh, I think. I think Atlanta can make it go like a really tough series for Milwaukee, but ultimately I think the Bucks will pull it out and go to the finals. For sure, for sure. I agree. All right, let's let's hop on to the other side then. So well, what are your what are your predictions? Uh Phoenix and the Clippers. Oh man, this is tough. All right. So I'm hearing that Chris Paul could be back this series. And I think that's going to be pretty detrimental. Getting game one is a huge up for the Suns. Um, and then on top of that, I also heard that Kawhi is going to miss games one and two. Does that mean, is that like some foreshadowing that he's going to come back? Or is that just like, you know, he's out games one and two? I don't, I don't think so, man. I, I'm skeptical of him returning in this postseason. Uh, if he does and he's healthy, like that's the main thing. I don't want him to come back and rush back and get injured again. But if mm-hmm. he's fully healthy and they – can somehow manage to split in Phoenix. Like, I think mm-hmm. the Clippers have a chance, but the Suns are really good, man. Like, we talked about it earlier. The Suns are an amazing team. They're really well-built. And Chris Paul being out, like, 
Cameron Payne, like, can we just take a moment to appreciate how much he's improved as a player? Like, he was one of the worst players in the league at one point, you know? And now he's turned himself into a really, really good player. So um, the Suns are a really good team. Devin Booker had a phenomenal game in game one. Like, the Clippers just could not keep up with him. And they have to play him, in my opinion, like they played Luka Doncic. You have to make him either score you can, or play make, but you can't let him do both because he – when the Clippers trapped him, like this is different. This is why what was different from the the Utah series. Donovan Mitchell missed a lot of open passes that could have resulted in buckets or secondary assists when the Clippers would trap him. Devin Book, when they tried that with Devin Booker, maybe they could be better about like the, with how they trap and like the quickness of it. But Devin Booker carved them up with his passing. A forty point triple double. He was really good. Uh, I don't I don't mean to like go into game one of the Clippers series, but. If Kawhi is out, like, for more than two games or whatever, if he misses a series, like, I think the Clippers season probably ends here. Unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but the Suns are really good. So, it's yeah. not – it's not a – it's not a, like a disappointment, I should say. Yeah, honestly, I agree with you. Um, I feel like these two teams have a really similar play style. Um, if you think about it, they both have athletic um, – like a guard, athletic guard, so – Donovan Mitchell to Devin Booker. And we all know the Clippers have somewhat of a little bit of a problem guarding these players. So that's that's another similarity. Then they've got their perimeter shooters. So on the Sun side, you got Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, um, some of these other guys. And then it's very similar to the Jazz where they had Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles and so on. And then you've got a pretty good defensive big as well. So I feel like it's a very similar team in, t- in terms of structure. I just think that the Suns are a little bit better than the Jazz are because they have one more piece. They have Chris Paul. And I think that he is light years above Mike Conley. Mike Conley also didn't play. So I think that Chris Paul could be a huge deciding factor. And honestly, I think that this this series could go either way. And it's really hard for me to pick. But I'm going to ride the hot hand and the momentum. I'm just going to go with the Suns this series. No, man, I don't I don't think the Jazz and the Suns are similar at all, man. Like, Obviously, like I'm you talking have the, about, I'm talking about like not place. Oh, you're talking about like talk- structure. Okay. Like, yeah, structure. Yeah. But the thing, the thing to me is though, like with the Suns, like the big, the main difference to me between the that differentiates them from the Jazz is that they have a center who can punish you for playing small. Like DeAndre Ayton attacks the offensive glass. He has touch around the rim. Like huge props to him as well he's another guy that deserves a lot of credit there was a lot of questions about him coming into the postseason how he was going to defend ad how he was going to defend Jokic, but he's really showed up and he's played really really well and did done everything you'd want from like a role player center but he's just so much more than that so so him being as good as, as he's been like he's the sun's x-factor and if he keeps up this play like it'll be tough for the clippers to win yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I, I honestly, I think this series could go either way. Um, but I'm going to roll with the Suns. What about you? You, you didn't say, bro. You said Suns. Yeah. Oh, I just, got, I just got one more thing to say. Uh, yeah. If Rondo plays more than like eight minutes a game, the Clippers are going to get swept. Rondo was terrible yesterday. He was the worst Clipper and I had to watch DeMarcus Cousins play 15 minutes and be, barely be able to move defensively. Like, I get Ron, – Rondo hit a three at the end of the game that kind of gave the Clippers a chance, but that doesn't take away from how bad he was the rest of that game. 
similarly to Paul George having a bad fourth quarter by like his shooting standards, but it doesn't take away from how good he was the first three quarters. Like Ty Lue, I get he was trying to like not run his guys in the ground. Like nobody on the Clippers played more than four, like 39 minutes, but like Rondo, like there's no reason that Rondo should be playing more than Patrick Beverly. Rondo has been terrible outside of like two games in the playoffs. So that's something I hope that Ty Lue fixes. Sorry, my bad. No, you're good. For sure, for sure. All right, we'll have to see, man. We've got a final four out here. We've got the Suns, you know, first-time champions, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, the notable ones. And then, of course, we got the Clippers, notable mentions. Got to mention Paul George. And then that would be Kawhi's fourth chip, is that is that third. right? No, it's his third. His third chip. Maybe another finals MVP for him. And then on the other side, we've got, obviously, Giannis. That would be the big for him, you know. It could be him. And then, of course, we got Trey Young. So those are like the notable guys to get their first championship. We'll have to see. I can't believe these are the final four teams, though. I didn't think it was going to be these final four teams. But, yeah, with that being said, you want to call it for this episode? Yeah, I think I think that's enough for today. We went a little long. Word, word. We'll definitely talk about this next week. So, guys, if you guys want to see more of our podcasts and episodes, definitely check us out at Push the Tempo Podcast with Avery and Kyle. We're on pretty much any streaming platform that you guys use, you know, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Uh, we're also on YouTube if you want to check us out with some gameplay. We've got some nice 2K videos uh, as well as some Brawlhalla, Call of Duty, whatever games you guys are looking for. We have that in the background. And if you guys want to be featured in our video, leave a comment or a hot take and maybe we'll talk about it. So that being said, it's pretty much it. And we'll catch you guys in the next podcast.